Open your Bibles to the book of Hosea, chapter 13. For several months I've been thinking about and praying about what to preach after I finished the 10-part series on spiritual warfare. We could have stayed on that for another 10 messages, but that's, I preached what God laid on my heart at the time. Several months ago, I mentioned to Brother Kenneth, I said, I, I'd like to preach uh, a short series of messages about heaven. I, I would really like to do that. And, and then a, another series uh, that I've preached several times during uh, these 57 years is the one another's found in the New Testament. Hopefully, I'll Lord, let me do that before long. But uh, I decided I, the Lord had me to preach something else first before we get started on any of that. And then when I couldn't, uh, couldn't preach last Sunday night, I asked Brother John if he would preach, and he graciously did. And uh, I didn't have any idea what he was going to preach. God knew all the time. And I mentioned that because, because of the outline of the message I'm preaching this morning was laying next to my recliner. I've got a little table there with all my stuff on it and my Bible. And I had the outline of the message I'm preaching today laying on there. And I was amazed how that, that God puts things together. And I hope before the message is over that you'll see the connection the entire message isn't, it's not a repeat of what Brother John was preaching or anything like that, but there is a connection that, uh, you, that we desperately need to understand. I want to speak to you this morning about the shame and the suffering of sin. The shame and the suffering of sin. The text for the message is found in verse 9 of Hosea chapter number 13. Where the Lord says, oh, I could just stop there and preach a message on that. Oh, God cares. God knows. God has feelings. God is grieved. Amen. Oh, Israel. These are the very people that he had chosen out of all of the peoples of the earth to make a nation to represent him. And he blessed them above all of the other nations, not because He loved them more, but because He used them as a light to enlighten the minds of all of those who worshipped uh, maybe hundreds or thousands of different gods. The Jews were the only ones that believed there was only one God. That set them apart from every other people group. And God said, I want to use you, O Israel, Thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. This chapter is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. It's divided into three parts. If you go back to the first three verses, he speaks about the glory of Ephraim being turned to shame. And then beginning in verse 4, he speaks about the God of Israel as their only Savior, the only way out, the only only way of hope. But beginning here in verse number 9, on down through the remainder of this chapter, it speaks about the guilt of Israel and how it brought suffering. There is so much that could be said about this. And, 
and, and the entire book. And I, I want to get right to the point and I want you to see how Israel's failure provides you and I with an extremely important lesson that we need to learn. If I could just sum it all up in a nutshell, and I thought about how can I just sum it all up, and here it is, sin is suicidal. Sin is suicidal. He said to Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. That's the condemnation there. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. In case you haven't noticed, and if you've read a paper, if you watch the news, if you know anything about what's going on in the neighborhood or the world around you, you know that man is a self-destructive creature. It's just that way. I don't need to present any evidence of that. You already know that. You look around and you wonder to yourself, why in the world would anyone do what the things that they do? Why would anyone, well, the towers, you know what I'm thinking. Why, why would anyone do that? And I'm not just talking about that group of people over there. You, I don't care whether it's in the United States or wherever it is. Things do, uh, people do things that literally destroy them and they knowingly do it. And so we have all of that evidence, but most of us, if we'll be honest, we know from our own experiences that sin does not pay. Sin doesn't pay. It never has and it never will. You always get a bad deal whenever Satan entices you to sin. We do things that are foolish, things that are harmful. And then, and then we wonder, why did I do that? I look back on my life and wonder... Why, why did I ever start drinking? Because I remember the first, first drink I ever took, I spit it out because I thought that was the most awful tasting stuff that I'd ever tasted in my life. But then by the time of 14, I, I couldn't get enough. We'd even go down to what they called Hobo Jungle. That's where the hobos back then, down toward the railroad tracks, somebody go down there and give one of the, those hobos enough money to go buy him some wine and they'd, they'd buy it for the kids. Why would, but why would anyone do something like that? And the list goes on and on. And every one of you, your sin might be entirely different than that, but every one of you can look back. If you're saved, you can look back and think of a time in your life where you wonder, why did I do that? And the problem is we usually want to blame someone else. Well, if it hadn't been for that neighborhood kid, you know, he led me astray. Or if it hadn't been for this or that, uh, it would have never happened. Well, that might not have happened, but something would happen because you are a sinful being by nature. It's going to have all of sin to come short of the glory of God. There's no getting around that. But you'd think that after a while we would learn our lesson. You would think Israel would have learned their lesson. Surely by now, after all they had experienced, that they would have learned that sin doesn't pay. We're going to walk in the straight and the narrow way from now on. We're going to be a people of God, a light to the rest of the world, just like God intended. That's what we're going to... God blesses them, and all of a sudden they get spoiled by their prosperity. They turn right around... 
and flaunt their rebellion in the face of God again and again and again. We just don't seem to ever learn anything. And I think it's safe to say we are our own worst enemy. We really are. It's not somebody else's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. What we do. We make a decision. We make a choice. And we can't blame anyone else for it. And so here is God's condemnation of what they've done. That you have destroyed yourself. But look back in chapter number 4 and verse 6. Here he shows us the cause of what happened. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What does he mean by that? Well, he says, thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. Destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Forgotten the law of thy God. Jeremiah gets much more specific than that. He tells us that uh, they created substitutes. They not only forsook God, but then they hewed them out cisterns of water. It wasn't enough for them to turn on God. Then they created their own gods, different gods. And that's what happened here. For a lack of knowledge. Well, well, most certainly they knew all of the facts. No doubt, no doubt many of them could quote parts of the law. They knew that part. But there was no influence of that. We have no idea how bad things can get in one generation. Just one generation... You're destroyed because of a what? A lack of knowledge. Well, what was it? You forgot about the law. And somewhere along the line, and you can look at the history of Israel, and you'll see that when one generation neglects their responsibility to reach the young generation, the next generation doesn't know anything about what the first generation knew about. It becomes... It, it, they're, they're ignorant of, of the truth of the Word of God. And that's what's happening here. But again, the question is, what is at the really root of, of this foolishness? What really causes us not to learn from our failures? What causes us to forget about the law of God? Over in Romans chapter 1, it tells us, when they knew God... They glorified him not as God. Now, remember that. They knew God. There was a knowledge of God, but they glorified him not as God. And their foolish heart was darkened as a result of that. So, so it has to do with man's relationship with God. But what is at the very root of it? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. I spoke on this verse during the course of our series on Spiritual warfare. And John says, for all that is in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And if I had time, I could take you all of the way back to the Garden of Eden, all of the way back to the fall of man, and you'll notice those three things existed. That, those are the three things that brought them down. And you look at the temptation of Christ whenever the devil took him up on the mountain, there he was tempted. And he tempted him in what? Those same three areas. And those are the th- same three avenues of temptation for all of us. Every temptation you'll ever face has in some way or another is related to these three things. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's the weakness of our flesh that causes our self-destructive nature. We don't have it within ourselves to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. We don't have it within ourselves to be the kind of people that, that really deep down in our heart we wish we were. We, we just can't. Not on our own. Now it's one thing to look at the condemnation and then to look at the cause of what brought all of this about. That's history. But it's the cure That really changes things. A lot of people get up and say everything I've just said, and it'd be, it'd be honest. There's a lot of folks have no idea what the cure is. Notice what the Lord said. He said, but in me, I, I can't help when I read this. He says, but in me is thine help. God could have said, look, I'm, I am so sick and tired of messing with you folks. I've given you every opportunity. I've blessed you above all of the nations of the earth. What more do you want me to do? I've given you all of these wonderful promises about this glorious nation that's going to be someday. He's, he's told them all this. And at any point, God could have said, I've had it up to here. You see, at times there are deadlines. Look at the flood. There was a deadline. I mean, if you didn't get aboard the ship, you, you were going to drown. There was a deadline. God could have said, this is it. No more. But he said, in me is thine help. They had turned their back on God, deprived themselves of his protection and his provision, and the only solution is for them to turn back to God and to live under his authority. And the same thing is true of us. Until we live under the control of the Holy Spirit, we'll never be able to live a victorious life. Until then, we are on a path of destruction. You say, but preacher, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. And all of that is good and wonderful. But you can ruin your life right here and now through sin. And the only way that we're going to be able to control ourselves, as it were, the only way we'll be able to finish the work that God's given us to do is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in the child of God. Remember the Lord said whenever he sent it back to heaven, he said, I'm going to send the, the Spirit and you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost cometh upon you. And the Lord did things on the day of Pentecost that nobody could have ever imagined. 
demonstrating the greatness of his power. I mean, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great? And I realized that was a particular gift for a particular time where the gift of what we call tongues or languages, God enabled them to speak in all of these different languages so as to get the message to the other people that have never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God can do what we can't even imagine. But so many times we turn our back on, on what the Bible says when it says, Be ye filled with the Spirit. That's a command for every child of God, that we live our life under the control of the Spirit of God. And, and, and if we don't, listen, if we're not under His control, we're out of control. And the sad thing is in all of this is not just what we do to ourselves. It's the fact that others get hurt in the process. That's sad because we don't have the right to hurt other people. But we always do when we get out of the will of God in one way or another, we end up hurting someone else. I realize that just hearing this message is not going to change anyone but I'm hoping it'll be a spark. I'm hoping it'll be something that'll just make you stop and to think about. And, and, and that might be the first step toward your recovery, your victory. Uh, hopefully, we all make the right choice. I was thinking this morning, looking back over the, over the years of ministry, and, and, and re- sat there and recalled different names of people that literally destroyed themselves. Some of them were some of the dearest friends I had. The most faithful people in the church. People that would do anything to help Bev and I and our family and did. Were so gracious. And and all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, someone goes down that path of self-destruction. I would have never imagined. And I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about again and again and again. It happens to pastors. Someone that, you know, the, the religious crowd think, boy, I'll tell you what, he is an all-star pastor. He's going he's gonna to do big things for God. And the next thing you read, well, I don't even want to talk about it. Sad stories. That come out of that. But it happens. And we are fools to think that something like that could never happen to us. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It, it can happen to anyone. We self-destruct. We refuse to listen. We ignore the warnings. And we just plunge headlong down a road that leads to our ruin. How sad it is. Here's the good news. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, there's help. There's hope in the Lord. Notice what the Lord said, but in me is thine help. And, and, and this is an invitation. Just look in chapter 14 in the first two verses. Here is an invitation. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. 
Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously so we will render the calves of our lips. This is an invitation the Lord is giving to them to make things right. No wonder we sing Amazing Grace. God says, you've destroyed yourself, but in me, there's hope. This is what I want you to do, which basically is repent, to confess their sins, acknowledge their sins. I don't have time to go into it, but this is something you need to know. As awful as chapter 13 is, as horrible as it is, In Hosea chapter number 1, we see something that's just the opposite. Something very unusual. Something you would never, ever expect. And in order for God to paint a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness, He tells the prophet to marry a harlot named Gomer. Now, it's, I know it's tempting to make a joke there about a woman's name being Gomer, but it's no joking matter. But it's hard to believe that the Lord would say to this good man, this faithful servant, this prophet of God, I want you to marry a harlot. Her name's Gomer. Already had three kids. I want you to marry her. Can you imagine how difficult that must be, thinking about the the trade that she is in out there selling her body to men? You men understand exactly what I'm thinking whenever... He says, I, I want you to take somebody like that, somebody that's used up and abused, and, and that, I want her to be your wife. That's not what men are looking for when they're ready to get married. But the Lord has a way of surprising us. I want you to marry her. And he did. And they had three children. And in naming of those three children, there is a message there to Israel. And I don't have time to go into the details of it, but I just want you to understand as the children were named, there was a message being communicated to the children of Israel from the Lord that had to do with their sin. Well, you think, well, that must have been great news for for Gomer. After that, after that horrible, terrible life out there in the streets that now she's got a good man for a husband. She has three children by him. Problems all gone. Not really. There was something in Gomer said, I'm not happy here. This isn't the life that I want. She ditched all six kids 
goes back out into the streets again, going right back to the very thing that God had delivered her from. She ends up being stripped. You see, when the world uses you up and they they, they no longer can get what they want from you, she's out there, she's available. She wants them, and now they don't want her. And she is stripped naked, mocked, and abused. And amazingly, and all during this time, even the kids go out and beg mommy to come home. They're pleading with her, please come back. She ignores that. Until now, there she is, bloody and in the gutter, and we don't know everything that everything that happened from, from the way that the wording is throughout this study. It seems that, that Hosea went back out to rescue her. He had to buy her out of slavery. He had to pay the price of a slave. And he was willing to do that. So he pays the price to bring her back. And as I read that story, I can't think of anything except of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So I said the thing that broke me down, broke my heart, drew me to Christ. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When, when I heard Brother Gene Hankins preach that, I thought, that, that just can't be. I mean, it just doesn't seem right. And if there is a God like that that's willing to love me as sinful as I am, and he's willing to love me and forgive me, that's what I need. To think about the grace of God. That's That's why I said earlier, regardless of who you are, what you've done, because there are people that think, I've made such a mess out of my life, there's no way back, no way that I can ever be of use to anyone, I might as well just throw in the towel and give it up. Well, that's on you if you do, because it doesn't have to end like that. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't go down that road that leads to self-destruction. Let me give you this advice from Solomon. He says, ponder the path of thy feet and let all of thy ways be established. In other words, he's saying, look before you leap. There's a lot of different paths in life that you can take, and you better be careful which one you take. A lot of voices shouting in your ear, do this, do that, this is okay. That's okay. You better be careful who you listen to. I grew up in the Ozarks where back... When I was a boy, except for the main roads there in town, everything was gravel roads everywhere. 
It's hard to tell one from the other. And by the way, they didn't have, oh, you know, so many miles over here to get to this town or anything. You better know where you're going. I mean, if you took a wrong turn, you'll be out there in the stick somewhere and not have any idea. You have to pull over like I've done. Ask some old farmer, where am I? Where, where, where's, you know, whatever you're looking for. Where's Ashgrove at? You know, I, I'm out here in the sticks. I didn't even get out here. I was looking for a place to hunt. Well, sir, you take you go straight north down there until you come to a fork in the road. Believe me, you'll get more lost trying to follow some of their directions than you would if you just wing it. And that's the way it is whenever it comes to the paths that you take in life. You don't, you don't want to listen to just anyone. You want the Word of God to be the thing that directs your steps. As I said, sin is suicidal. It has its own built-in punishment. God doesn't have to do anything to really hurt you. All he has to do is just take a hands off, say, you, go ahead, do whatever, whatever you want to do. You want to do that? Go ahead. I've warned you, you're going to get hurt. It's going to be costly. You're going to destroy yourself. And sin will do that. It's not like God has to send a tornado through town in order to get you. Now, He can do that. But sin itself has a way of destroying us. Even when we've been saved, we're safe only to the degree that we yield ourselves to God. Why? Because of the lust of the flesh. It's still there. When God saves you, He gives you a new nature, a spiritual nature. But there is the nature of the flesh still within you. You're in the world, but not of the world. But that's why Brother John was talking the other day about mortifying the flesh. That means kill it, put it to death. Well, how do you do that? You can't do that. How do you do it? Jesus did that. You reckon yourself. You, you just consider it done. Reckon yourself dead unto sin, but alive unto God. If you have saving faith, if you have enough faith to trust God to save you, you have enough faith to believe what He says whenever He tells us that He has delivered us from this, and He can and He will. But it's only as we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God. Somebody says, well, I'm not sure I, I know what that, that means. Well, let me help you. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God. Remember, it's the sword of the Spirit. You say, well, I, I don't know how, what to do. You just find out what this book says and do it. Here's a, here's a definition of success for anybody. Find the will of God and follow it. And if you'll do that, not just for your own selfish gratification, but if you'll do that for the reason that it'll bring glory to God, I promise you that the Spirit of God will help you with whatever difficulty you face. 
Sin's going to deprive you of your joy. It'll dampen your spirits. It'll distract you from the glory of God, the thing that ought to be the most wonderful thing in all of the world. It'll destroy your testimony and leave you useless in the kingdom of God. That's what sin will do. You say, well, that's what happened to me, preacher. What do I do now? Well, you do what David did. You think about the awful sin David did. He didn't just commit adultery. He was responsible for putting that woman's husband to death. This is David. The sweet singer of Israel, David. God used to write so much of this book. David, who is in fact in ways a type of Jesus Christ. David. You'd never imagine David doing something like that. But he did. How do you undo something like that? Psalms 51. First of all, you confess your sin to God. You acknowledge the fact that you have sinned. And then you get down to verse 12, and I love where he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Oh, sin will zap you of every ounce of joy you have in your life. It'll take away your peace. And when I say sin, it's like we use that word so often that so many times we think, well, wait a minute. I haven't been back in the bars. I haven't haven't committed adultery with anyone. I haven't haven't been doing those things, you know. Well, there's a lot of other sins besides that. Well, we we could talk about some of them. About the sin of covetousness. Bitterness. I mean, you make your own list. I'm telling you, sin will rob you of your joy and your peace and leave you in a miserable pit of depression. You will destroy all of the good things about yourself. But thank God there's hope. Restore unto me. And today, listen, if, if you've started down that path toward self-destruction... You ought to be on your knees somewhere or at least in prayer to God that Lord restore the joy of that salvation you provided for me. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. You ever think about that? How do we decide who's strong Christians and who are who's weak Christians? Well, without joy, we're weak. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're going to make it through this life successfully, you're going to have to have the joy of the Lord. And you can't have that without without confessing those sins in your heart. Whatever it is that's displeasing to God. And if you're here today, you say, well, preacher, I'm not a Christian, but all of this is sure interesting to me because I've just made a real mess out of my life. In fact, it might be that you're here today and you say, well, preacher, I'm, I know I'm not saved, but, but I don't really do anything all that bad. Well, that's according to what scales you use. 
what you've done wouldn't be weighed bad on man's scales, but on God's scales, we are horribly sinful in His sight. Why? Because He's perfect, He's just, He's holy in every sense, and none of us measure up to that. You don't have to be a drunk or a drug addict or a whoremonger or something like that in order to need salvation. You just got to be a natural person. Because we're born with that sin nature within us due to the fall of man. And your great need today is not a new start, it's a new heart. And I hope that you'll trust Christ as your Savior before you leave here today. God said to Israel, here's the invitation. And we're going to give an invitation today for you to do business with God, whether it's your need of trusting Christ as your Savior or that you just need to come today and make some things right with the Lord. Let's all stand together. Brother David's going to come. and Our musicians will be here. and If you come, there'll be someone here to to assist you if we can or you say well I'm a woman I want some woman to to help me I, I guarantee we got women that'll get on their knees and pray with you be glad to do that see Steve there I don't see Pam but I bet you Pam would amen a lot of these other women Let's pray, Father, as much as much as there are things that need to be made right with all of us in some way, whether we consider it something that is minor or something that's major, we all confess that we're nowhere near perfect. We all could be more like Christ. And so, Lord, we need you. And yet, Lord, we are absolutely helpless without the help of your Spirit in our hearts today. We could sit here and discuss all of our problems and cry about them. But Lord, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. That's what you told us, Lord. And I pray today that that we by faith would believe what you've said in regards to forgiveness and salvation and strength and peace and help and joy and everything else. Help us to understand that our answer is found only, only in you. May the needs be met here today in people's lives change. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we sing,